evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to the fourth episode of the Fanborn Podcast. Um, very weird. It's on a Saturday night, on a Tuesday night, and there's reasons for that. You're probably wondering where I've been for the last couple of weeks, and that's the reason why we're doing one tonight. Um, hoping you have a very good uh, Saturday night. Very good last couple of weeks since I've been around, actually, in all fairness. Um, let me just have a look at something. The stream health. Just have a look at the stream health for the moment. It's 16 FPS, which isn't too bad, but we'll see how we go. Um, you know what, I might see. I'll quickly go and have a look at the computer and then we'll go from there. Got a cool, well, as you probably expect, we've got quite a lot to uh, get through because I haven't been on for nearly three weeks, so... We'll see how we uh, how we go here, um, and all right, yep. Let's get right into it now. Um, well, we'll start with the intro, which is everything I'm talking about myself, pretty much. Um, so, uh, how should I start? Well, our future's looking a lot better in Ballina. Um, I'm hearing as of the 12th of June, we're getting more schedules. I think we might be getting Melbourne's as of the 12th of June, or around that time, about the week commencing, we're going to get, I'm hearing we're going to get Melbourne's back. I know in July, you, there are, through, they're trying to push three Sydneys a day, which is um very, very good. Uh, I'm quite happy with them pushing three Sydneys. Um, yeah, so they'll... So, yeah, uh, three Sydneys and a Melbourne, pretty much back to normal, but you can only book, like, the first Sydney on the website. Then when that fills up, then you go to second Sydney. Then when that fills up, then you go to third Sydney. So we'll see what happens. That'll tell us how many flights we'll end up doing, but the future's looking very good for us in Ballina, which is uh, very, very interesting, and it's really, really good. Um, but also, this week, we were announced that we were the second busiest airport in New South Wales, which is another very amazing feat, actually. I wasn't um, expecting that. It was second busiest airport in New South Wales last year, so, yeah. Even being Newcastle. I, yeah, but it's weird. I, I don't know what metric that's on. Um, the only real source that really gave it was Northern Star and... Thank you, News Corp. I've got to pay to access that. So, yes, and I will not pay $30 a month to do that. So, I can't really get... But, yeah, that's just what was uh, put up on the news as a Ballina Airport's the second busiest in New South. So, I'll take that and run with that as much as um, much as we need. Right. Um, so, the reason why I have been off the last couple of weeks, I was going to do it two weeks ago while I was driving up the Dalton. Um, but then OBS decided it would be an absolute pain in the backside and start dropping every frame I had. And then, yeah, and then from there, nothing worked. So now I'm back to the old system, which is a bit of a shame, but we'll get through everything we've missed over the last couple of weeks and we'll go from there. Um, on this Saturday night, so this is just pretty much recapping the last, well, two, nearly three weeks, well, last two weeks, the two weeks we missed, because Tuesday, we're going to do one on Tuesday night, we'll do the week that's just gone, so yeah, and which means we 
Well, actually, Tuesday night, there's a lot to talk about as well, in all fairness. Right. Uh, next bit. Uh, yeah, getting back into trucking. So, it's quite funny. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching YouTube, and I've been driving an American truck simulator for quite a while now, but, yeah, I'm getting back into trucking, which is a little bit of a grey area, a little bit of a sticky point for me, but, yeah, I've been really enjoying it. Um, I've got my little log book, my, which is like a real fatigue log book, which is good fun. <laughs> yes, American Truck's been good fun, but I've been watching um, YouTube and by the name of the Rusty Crack, I think he's up to like 80,000 subs, but he drives, he lives in Jacksonville, Florida, and he drives coast to coast for a company that's based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and I've been really enjoying that as well, so yeah, I've been enjoying getting back into trucking actually a little bit, and um, yeah, because I haven't really been into it for the last quite a few years, pretty much ever since I left school, or maybe, or maybe 2015, but yeah, so that's been quite interesting, um, oh, last night, what did I say, first time I've been out for probably three years, prop oh, no, I wouldn't say three years, no, no, not three years, um, probably went out for the first time in at least a year and a bit, at least a year and a half last night, probably, um, that was good fun, though. Up Lennox with all the workmates. It was great fun. I fucking loved it. Um, yeah, just good to get out of the house and just to go mingle again. And um, just showing that uh, stuff is starting to get back to some sort of normality, which is always good. It's always good. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe there's a purpose in life after all. Instead of um, the coronavirus, leaving you at home, getting three months into this, and th you're thinking to yourself... Yeah, this isn't worth it anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good. It's good. And that was really good fun. Um, yeah, I was the, uh, took the sober approach, but that's just a normal approach I take. So, yeah, on the, my weird Coca-Cola varieties, like my big 500ml glass bottle of uh, Mexican Coke and then my two um, cherry Cokes. It's good. Mate, it was great. Can't complain at all. Um, yeah. Cannot complain at all about that one. Yeah, so. So, all the Ballina crew are great fun to hang out with. I already knew that, because the moment I walked in there, I was like, yeah, these guys are a bunch of laughs, and they really are. Um, yeah, got back into cycling as well. Jeez, it's all getting insane. Yes, I'm back riding the bike again, because I need to lose some weight, because as you can see, I'm probably growing a double chin. So, yeah, probably telling me I'm a bit too fat. I need to, I need to lose some weight, so I'm back on the bicycle a little bit, um, it's struggled, because I'm not conditioned, uh, trying to ride up the hill last week, uh, ride up, um, uh, to look out last week was just hell, uh, nearly, nearly died on it, so yeah, not really, not really nearly died on it, but I got about two thirds of the way up, and just like, <sighs> and my legs gave way, it was just funny. <laughs> Yeah, so, back on the bike. I'll give you a little question about the uh, cycling world a bit later on, because um, I love cycling, I still do, I always have. So, yeah. Um, feel free to uh, check your comments, uh, chuck your, um, yeah, chuck comments and chuck questions in the chat, I will get to them as we go. Questions I will answer at the end as per normal. So, right after the last opinion piece, I will get on to questions. So, feel free to keep doing that. Um, car issues, oh yeah, yeah, Wednesday, that was a brilliant day, 
So I drove down the street, decided to start the car up, and it went, and then started, and then had no power and was starting to stall out. Check engine light, everything else. Oh, for God's sake. Got the car home, seemed okay, and then took around the mechanic. And mechanics ended up saying, well, the battery was dead flat. Surprised the car even started. And it just had no power to run anything. The power, there was no power to do that sensor that was tripping. So once I charged it up and took it, it was all good. I ended up buying a brand new battery because after the last service, he said you need the battery changed anyway. So, yeah. But that was very scary for a few hours. I was without a car for a few hours and that was uh, a little bit... Um, didn't really know what to do with myself there for a little bit because that was a little bit scary. Very much a little bit scary. Um, yep, yeah, alright. Uh, where is it? There it is. My book. Not my book. I want, I've always wanted to write a memoir and I will one day. Yeah, put that in comments. I'll tell the guys tomorrow. I want to, I've always wanted to write a memoir. I freaking should. It's going to be amazing. Because I think my life's very interesting, somewhat. I've done a lot in my 23 years. Um, so I finished this book a week ago. And I might start to read it for a second time again. Because this book is incredible. Uh, 12 Years of Turbulence by Gary Kennedy. and The real story of American Airlines' struggle for survival from 2001 to 2013. Um, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, if you give two... If you love aviation, you love the management side of aviation, take that. That is from the actual general counsel of American Airlines during those years, um, Gary Kennedy. So if you're Australian and don't know what a general counsel is, he's chief lawyer of American Airlines. And very inquisitive, very... I've listened to him speak a couple of times, and he is a very, very good man to listen to. Knows what's going on, but also very interesting. Not... There is a lot of law jargon. You will probably not be able to say a lot of the words that are in this book, but a lot of business, a lot of law jargon, but you'll enjoy it. If you love aviation, you'll love mechanic, uh, how an aviation com uh, airline works, how an airline works, <laughs> aviation company, come on, how an airline works, you'll love this. You will love it. Don't get me wrong. And finally, and this pretty goes into the first topic, VH-OEH, my favourite 747-400, actually probably my favourite aircraft ever. I flew on it on my first run from Los, uh, San Francisco back to Sydney in October 20, I think it was October 21st, 2017. Was taken to Maha, was taken to LA on the 19th of May, so about 11 days ago, as Qantas 6001. And then flew the same flight number to Mojave, and yeah, it's gone. It is gone. VHOEH is in the graveyard, and um, makes me feel very sad, actually, now thinking about it, because I really, really wanted to be... Because, as you know, last year, they were doing points flights for their um, all their retiring 7-4s, so you could pay your pay amount of points, Qantas frequent flyer points, to get on those flights to fly in that last, um, to fly in the last flight of that aircraft. Um, but sadly, because of the pandemic, that's not happening. Um, 
so I never got a chance to fly on OEH again. I really, really wanted to be on that points plane, go to LA for its last ever flight, but didn't happen. But it moves us straight on to the first topic, that Qantas is replacing their Boeing 747s with the Dreamliners. Well, we all knew that was happening. That's the entire point. There were only 15 of them to get out of it. But, well, it's pretty much... Yeah, this is a, sort of a double-edged sword, this article. And written by Andrew Curran, Simple, simple Flying. Um, I like how he starts it. Like letting go of your favourite ex-girlfriend. Yeah, let's not go there. Um, Qantas has written it's 747-400 out of its schedule. So, personally, well... Pretty much what he's saying is the 747-400 for Qantas will never fly with passengers again. But I think that's pretty much what we said a couple of months ago. And then Qantas, no, they never confirmed. Qantas never confirmed it was gone. But pretty much they've confirmed now that they've taken, well, in the last couple of months, they've taken OEF, they've taken uh, OEG and now OEH. All that's left is OEI, OEI, OEJ, and OEE are the last three. But I'll tell you right now, none of them will ever fly a paying Qantas passenger again, which is very, very sad. The only flight schedule left on the 7-4, the only two were Haneda, Tokyo, and Johannesburg. But I think by the time... They go back on the schedule, so I think they'll be all run by 787 Dreamliners. So, yep, I it's pretty much the same. Yep, the Qantas 747 will never ever fly again. Uh, well, never ever fly a paying passenger, but we all knew that it was never going to fly into Australia again. So, but it will never fly another paying passenger, which is yeah, unbelievably sad. And they're only 17 year old jets. Um, but the issue, and it's the same with the KLM 747 and quite a few of the 747 retirements, is that, um, you, they're all meant to be massive fanfares, meant massive amounts of people farewelling the last one going to retirement, and it's not going to happen, and that's possibly the saddest thing, because especially with Qantas and this, their love affair, their 50 years of sir. Having the 747, it deserved a send-off. It deserved a massive send-off. The it was its send-off would have been the celebration for the 40 years of uh, for the 100 years of Qantas. But at the end of the day, it's never gonna. It's not gonna happen. OEJ will just fly to Mojave. And no, and only have geeks will know that it's gone, and that's it. There won't be the massive fanfare with all the Qantas staff and with all the Av geeks waving OEJ as it flies into retirements. Sadly, it's not. And it, it, as an Av geek, and a very passionate one at that, and someone who worked for Qantas and all that, it's a it's a horrible feeling to be honest with you. But there will be celebrations for Qantas hundred years. Don't get me wrong. But they're just there's just no celebration with the retirement of the seven four seven. There's n- there's no way to give that plane the respect it deserves. Because I don't know how many passengers the seven four seven's flown over its God knows how many years, fifty years of flying. 
it's it's somewhere in the million could even be five, ten, fifteen, I don't know how many million passengers that aircraft's flying in all its variants. Um it doesn't deserve to end this way, but the pandemic sort of taken up, but who knows? Now that restrictions are easing, there might be an opportunity to have a send off in September. They might keep the last one around till September. Which will be, well, I'm telling you right now, it'll be OEJ. We'll be the last one going. Um, and then they might give us the send-off for deserves. I'm hoping they do that. Because it'd be horrible if they didn't. It just, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't feel right. It's not respectful to the, to the um, legacy of that aircraft and to the legacy of the airline that it served. Um... Yeah, so, but something else it said is, well, the 747's got character. I've flown on a Dreamliner. I've, yeah, it's like letting, yeah. Here's, here's where it came, here's the next uh, sentence in that paragraph, right at the start of it. Everyone knew it was coming, but it's a sad day when the Grand Dame of the Skies is to be replaced by a bland and charmless Dreamliner. Surely... 747s were aging, costly to operate, showing signs of wear and tear, and a little bit old school, but so am I, so the relationship was working out well until Qantas pulled the exit cord. And that's it. The the Dreamliner and, I don't know, the A350, I haven't flown on a 350. I know it's so comfortable to fly on the 350, and but they're just sterile. They lack abs, they lack any character at all, those aircraft. And I just, it makes... Makes a normal aviation fan feel sick when they get rid of, because that's the thing. The seven four seven had is probably my the seven four seven seven the seven six and the seven five were the most characterful aircraft that were ever built. They oozed character, and yeah, it was just yeah. But we'll see. Um... What was I going to say? I'm just reading through the artic- rest of the article. Um, yeah, but, well, here's how he ended that. Here's how he ended that, um, his article. Um, but flying in a Dreamliner um, leaves me cold. Whereas flying a 747 is always a joy, unfortunately you cannot stop change. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, and yes, the 787 is very cold, it's very, it's very, what's the word, it's just not a great, it's just a sterile aircraft, and there's something about sterile aircrafts that we don't like very much, the 380, the 787, the, I'd say the 350 is the same, I like these big characterful aircraft, the 74, the 75, um, the 330 in a way, um, uh, what else, there was another one that was just on the top of my head, but I can, well, the MD-80 for sure, but, um, there's another one that was just on the top of my head, uh, I lost it, <laughs> so there you go, but, oh no, 777, I was about to say, because it reads me right into the next point of another massive airline retirement, and this one came from complete left field. Did not know this one was coming at all. And this is Delta retiring all their 777s. 
even the LR moles are only eight years old. I was mystified when they did that. And Jeb Brooks, the resident Delta nerd over in Greensboro, North Carolina, has already made a video about this. It was horrible. Now, when I heard that, I was like, oh, for God's sake. I know we're getting the 350, which is a great aircraft, but I really wanted to fly on the 777, Delta's 777 over to Los Angeles. Next time I was going to go to the States, I was planning on flying a Delta 777. Now, I'm just going to have to fly the Delta a350 or the well i'll probably fly the delta a350 one way i'll fly american 787 back but it yeah it just it just makes you feel yeah because i don't know the triple seven is one of those weird aircraft they're fuel efficient but they're not fuel efficient but yeah and the stupid the weirdest thing about that decision from Ed Bastian, don't get me wrong, I really like Ed Bastian. He's a great CEO of Delta. He's lifted them from absolutely nowhere, Ed Bastian. Absolutely brilliant CEO. But he's just spent $45 million um, refurbishing all of his aircraft into the new Delta scheme, giving the new business class and what have you. And they'll never fly again. Well, okay, maybe they'll... Well, yeah, they might They might not fly again. They're paying passenger again. They just finished. Doing the last ER model into the current Delta One cabins and all that sort of stuff. And they may never fly paying passenger. I don't know the reason for that. So, Delta plans to retire its 18 wide-body 777s by the end of 2020 as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The retirement will accelerate the airline strategy to simplify and modernise its fleet while continuing to operate newer and more cost-efficient aircraft. Um, yeah. We're making strategic, cost-effective changes to our fleet to respond to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic while also ensuring Delta is well-positioned for the recovery on the backside of the crisis, said Delta's Chief Operating Officer, Gil West. Uh, he continues, The 777 has been a reliable part of Delta's success since it joined the fleet in 1999, and because of its unique operating characteristics, opened new non-stop ultra-long-haul markets that it could only fly at the time, like Atlanta, Johannesburg, for instance. That's just... Um, but yeah, last month, Delta also retired the MD-80 and the MD-90. Um, yeah, but they have been losing $50 million. I think... They could, they could have been losing $50 million a day, actually. I'm not 100% sure whether it was $50 million a day and $50 million a week. No matter what, they're both massive figures. Um, yeah. So, of course, they'll... All the ones that were all the routes that were being done on the triple seven two hundreds were are now going to be done on A three fifty nine hundreds, which are great and which burn twenty one percent less fuel per seat, but again, no character. <laughs> but they, but yeah, it's it's the way the world goes, sadly. And the way the world's been absolutely turned upside down because of this just ruins a chance for anybody to do anything. But yeah, the more specific details of the timing of 777's exit from the fleet will be disclosed at a later date. 
So there you go. Very, very sad there. Um, now we're going on to uh, Virgin Atlantic and British Airways' moves to remove um, their Gatwick bases. So BA may not op reopen at Gatwick after this is over. So they're not flying out of Gatwick at the moment. They would usually fly to New York, um, quite a few places in Europe, and quite a few in the Caribbean from Gatwick. But once the uh, pandemic passes, they may not reopen Gatwick, which is home to 4,300 pilots and quite a few flight attendants and all that sort of stuff. But they are also saying that they will cut 12,000 jobs. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but the Pilots Union for BA is going to um, fight those cuts. Yeah, but it's all about survival. Um, BA haven't really been going that great. Neither of... I'm just about to talk about Virgin Atlantic, but they're even worse. They're on the verge of bankruptcy. They're on the verge of falling Virgin Australia into bankruptcy. Um, yeah, so... But Virgin Atlantic, to remove 3,150 jobs, Boeing 747 fleet, which, well, that was always going to happen... They're also going to get rid of their remaining... Well, no, they have already got rid of their remaining A350... No, A34600s. Um, but I'll get to the 340 in a second because I've got another... Because I'll link the 340 into another bit. Um, but yeah, Virgin Atlantic cutting a, th uh, cutting a third of its workforce... Um, and removing the 747 and its Gatwick operations to reduce costs. Um, Virgin out of Gatwick flew to Orlando. They flew quite a few destinations out of Gatwick. Like, Orlando was one. Um, I can't remember where else they flew from Gatwick. But they flew to quite a few destinations from London Gatwick. Um, in Mostly in 74s and 330s, I think. Yes, yeah, so... Yeah, so there you go. Um, yeah. So that's just that. But Virgin Atlantic, as I said, are, are in equally as dire of a state as Virgin Australia are. They're, they're both... I'm surprised Virgin haven't gone into bankruptcy, but at the moment, Virgin are barely flying at all. They're really only doing cargo. And with that cargo, they are flying... Um, but really only when they have to. Uh, they are not expecting to have passengers back until at least September, I think it is at the moment. Um, no passenger flights until at least September from Virgin Atlantic. Um, so, yeah, but another fleet of 747s are gone. And it's uh, another very sad thing, but in all fairness, with Virgin Atlantic, it was not really unexpected. I think they had that on their plans well before the pandemic. But talking about the 340, um, so all the um, 340s from uh, Virgin Atlantic are already parked up. The 34600s, which were the super long ones. I love the 34600s. What an amazing aircraft they are. But Virgin flies its final 34600 to their aviation graveyard in Spain. Yeah. The 340 is pretty much non-existent now. Um, it was very, very sad because I really enjoyed the 340. I thought the 340, out of all Airbus's aircraft, the 340 and the 330 oozed character. They were great aircraft. Not like uh, a lot of the newest 
Airbus aircraft that were just sterile. They, it was so long. To walk from one end of the aircraft to the other was a marathon for anybody who's done it. I know there's quite a few people, know quite a few people who have done it, but I never did it. I would love to have flown on a 340-600, but haven't. Um, yeah, but sad, 340 is now non-existent as well. And that's as equally, uh, maybe not as equally as 747, but still absolutely unbelievable. Um, the, it's all gone from Lufthansa, it's all gone from Virgin Atlantic. There's pretty much none left. I think Iran Air, I think Iran Air still has a couple, or, ta or Air, one of the other Iranian carriers still has a couple, but apart from that, I can't think of a carrier that still has the 340-600, which is very sad. Sadly, because of IBS, I can't really show you photos of anything, so... You want to have a look at the 34600 and how outlandish it is? You can search it online for yourself. Um, what's next? British uh, Thai Airways to go into bankruptcy to restructure. Okay. Let me... <laughs> Let me update this, because I did this before it was updated. Thai Airways actually avoided bankruptcy. So, Thai Airways will enter a rehabilitation process under the court. We've decided to petition for restructuring and not let Thai Airways go into bankruptcy. The airline will continue to operate, of course. Um, so, they've uh, opted... So, they did pretty much what American Airlines did back in 2003. And that was get to the bankruptcy court and then decide... American Airlines pretty much taking $1.6 billion from their employees to decide, yeah, we'll restructure instead of going to bankruptcy. Um, uh, but apart from that, there is not that much other news about that yet, so, yeah. Um, but they're not looking to resume international flight operations until at least the end of June, so another month for that. Um, but we'll see what happens there. I don't really have a lot more information than that. Uh, Emirates restructuring plans. Now, this is different as well, as I'll tell you on Tuesday night. Um, uh, yeah, so Emirates... So the way Emirates is going at the moment, Emirates is gradually resuming flights from Dubai to London, Heathrow, Frankfurt, Paris, Milan, Madrid, Chicago, Toronto, and Sydney and Melbourne. Um, that's sorry, sir. That started on the 21st of May. Uh, travels will only be accepted on those flights that comply with the eligibility and entry criteria for their destination countries. So, yeah. So, Emirates has resumed flights under those protocols. Uh, Eddie had already have, and Emirates followed suit, trying to get people through Dubai again. Um, apart from that, I can't really say how much of this is, uh, um, can't really say how much of this is, uh, would I say, um, accurate, because it's all changed again, so, yeah, let me just have a little read here, um, yeah, okay, maybe that's a bit out of date, yeah, um, I do have a bit of an update on Emirates, but I'll share that with you on Tuesday night. Uh, United Airlines 787 windshield cracks across the Pacific, so, United... Airline 787-9 Dreamliner, registration number 26952, is cruising at 40,000 feet, 
approximately seven four hundred and seventy nautical miles from Tokyo. Um on its way from I think it was LA to Hong Kong. Oh no, Hong Kong to LA. Sorry, Hong Kong to LA. No, sorry. Hong Kong to San Francisco. Gotta get that right. Um so it was just passing Tokyo and then uh the crack uh Crack windshield of the cat in the cockpit um, occurred uh, at uh, 22:30 local time. Um, they requested a pan pan and returned to Naruto Airport. Uh, the aircraft made a safe landing on 16 right. Um, crack windshields are not something that um, isn't out of the ordinary, but they are quite scary if you're a captain. With that, but it's normal pressurization. Um, procedure but usually if one glo- but in this case the, the aircraft didn't lose pressurization but you can't fly them with a cracked windshield so good decision and yeah the aircraft spent uh 24 hours at Narita before continuing on to San Francisco so there you go uh let me have a look okay couple more um Anchorage Anchorage Airport is becoming one of the world's busiest airports, especially during this, because Anchorage in Alaska is a massive cargo airport, but that cargo has skyrocketed. Um, There's a lot of Boeing 747 freighters flying in between America and Asia at the moment, Um, and it's absolutely amazing. Like... um, Anchorage had, on Saturday, May 2, Anchorage had 744 flight operations, whereby Chicago only had 579, Atlanta only had 529. Think about that, because though both those airports are massive, but Chicago, but Anchorage, because of the demand for freight, has just been kicking ass. Like, but that's gone about, up about 150%, I think. Amount of cargo flights that are going around in the world at the moment—it's unbelievable. So yeah, yeah. Oh, so uh, great news if you work at Anchorage Airport at the moment. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> Alaska's a bit too cold for me. And finally, on the Pakistan International Airlines flight that crashed in Karachi, oh, when was this? I can't remember when this was. It was a couple of weeks ago now. 22nd of May. So it was eight days ago. Um, uh, Pax, uh, what happened? On the 22nd of May, a Pakistan International Airlines A320 crashed into houses in Modal Colony, Karachi. The aircraft had been attempting to land at Jinnah International Airport after travelling from Lahore. However, a failed attempt and a go around the pilot lost control of the aircraft and it plummeting into housing. The time media inquiry was in- launched into the cause of the crash while on scene responders were uh, looked for survivors, where they only found two, by the way. So they had, I think it was 99 on board, only two survived. Um, which is miraculous. After watching the footage, it's miraculous anybody survived that. It really is. Um, I'm not going to speculate what happened. I've seen the footage. But my views of what happened in that accident, I'm going to keep very close to myself at the moment, until there is a report. Once there's a report, then I can tell you exactly what happened, but I'm not going to speculate on what happened. I'm just telling you um, exactly what we know. 
the obvious primary line of inquiry for the four-member inquiry is what prompted the A320's crash, of course. Um, so it had already gone around, and yeah, but you could hear that um, them put in a mayday. Um, so yeah, the flight had been without problem, but on landing, it believed the landing gear did would not deploy. Uh, but I think you can see in the footage the landing gear was down. Um, just twelve seconds separate the moment the aircrew informed HSC that both engines had been lost and made a call after the sea lost altitude colliding with residential buildings. Um, so the engines were not responding to their input. Um. Okay, this is where investigators presumed that leaking fuel could have contributed to the ability to gain significant thrust. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, but, well, of course, we've got to wait for... um, And they're also saying communication breakdown. And yeah. There you go. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot to come out of this, and we'll wait for an official report before we go into it um, any further. So that's the end of all the topics. Now we've got in cut two opinion pieces for tonight. Um, first, and this is going right on the realm of Formula One. Why didn't Ricardo even being mentioned for one minute, uh, from minute one, for a potential move to Ferrari, proves he is the best Formula One driver? Well, let's all remember when uh, Daniel Ricciardo started at Red Bull and was immediately unbelievable. Everyone thought he's the best driver in the grid. And I think a lot of people still do believe, if you look at pure driving, a pure driver, everyone believes, uh, no, majority of people believe that Ricardo is the best driver. And I certainly believe that. Him going to Ferrari, it's a bit of a pain. And now we're hearing that he did was in talks with Ferrari for that seat. They gave it to Carlos Sainz. Yeah, okay, but... We'll see what happens at McLaren, but I still think he's... But he's also saying that without a world title, his feel like his career would be a failure. And for his potential, I think it would be as well. But, yeah, it's just a shame that there's a lot of, there's a lot of fanfare around Ricardo, but he's just not getting in the right seats. But I'm hoping McLaren can, can be back to a top-tier um, racing team like they were 15 years ago or 13 years ago and can be challenging for titles. Because if they can, without a doubt, I think Ricardo will be a world champion. And how many airlines can Australia handle? Well, I've got a couple of, uh, got a couple of uh, things here. Uh, this is going on with um, Rex thinking they might buy 10... So either seven threes or um, or at least ten seven threes or a three twenties, and compete with Virgin and Qantas to fly between major centres. Um, but as a simple uh flying article by Andrew Curran explains, um, let me just have a quick read through this. Um, of course you got to well. Let me just have a quick read through this. The general view is that there's enough demand to support two full-service domestic airlines. In Australia, there is. Um, for sure. And one or two low-cost. I think one 
I think Verge, I think Jetstar really do hold it. Tiger haven't really made a dent into anything. I think Tiger personally had held Virgin back. I think they were quite a quite a destructive force in Virgin's business. Um, don't get me wrong. I still think Virgin's one of the best airlines I've ever flown on. Like domestically, I'd line them over Qantas, but um, I think they've got a better product. But yeah, they just couldn't. Hopefully, whoever buys out Virgin, I've got an update on Virgin, but I'll save that till Tuesday night. Um, we'll we'll make them into an airline that is most the same as what it is, but someone who's profitable and who can really take Qantas on. Because for us, we want to travel domestically. That's gonna make a huge difference. To how much we pay. Um, yeah, so... But I think we're... Well, as I said, Australia's a better market than Europe f- for airlines. Because we got it all year round, we got tourism. Europe, you've got that summer window and that winter window to the, snow fi- uh, to the ski fields. And that's it. Apart from that, there's not much that happens um, over in... Um, not much that happens over in Europe, and that's why those a lot of those European airlines really do find issues. So yeah, um, but I'm just going to read this to you. So, um, rusted on passengers, a barrier to new entrants. This is this part of the um, this paragraph in that article. Most would argue that more competition is a good thing, but here's the thing: the majority of revenue across Australia's domestic airline industry is generated by a minority of flyers. The high fare paying frequent flyers in a previous life... Oh, I was a fairly hard call. Yeah, this is the... Um, yeah. This kind of passenger wants frequency, reliability, flexibility, and good service. Operating three flights a day to Melbourne isn't going to snag you a share of this market when Qantas is operating 33 flights a day. Yeah, there you go. No new airline can introduce the kind of frequency, service, and facilities that this type of passenger wants. Sure, the new airline can ramp it up, but in the meantime, your prospective cash cow passenger is parking on his backside in the lounge in the other terminal, drinking another airline's Pinot. Yep, they'll end up in Qantas. It took Virgin Australia 20 years to garner a 30% share of the corporate market. Its share of the government market is even less, because most of them end up flying Qantas. Um, why expanding... The competitive landscape is unlikely to happen. This suggests that any potential startup airline is going to be a minor player for a long time, which they will because it's the way the airline industry in Australia sort of works with Qantas. Um, yeah, because, of course, any airline startup will be flying leisure passengers. That's it. You're not going to get a business market. You're not going to get government. It'll fly leisure travellers and bargain-hunting small business owners who can't get into the Qantas lounge. Well, anyone who doesn't have status. That means unless the new startup is prepared to play a very long game, which in Australia sadly you have to, the financial pickings from Australia's domestic market are going to be slim. It would take a brave prospective operator to step outside the two existing full-service and one or two low-cost operators model. The Virgin Australia collapse does not give a rise to an opportunity the full-service model and or a low-cost replacement for Tiger Airways taking up the space vacated by Tiger may be a good fit for Indigo Partners leaving someone else to run the full-service rebooted Virgin Australia. 
So, there you go. Um, what is less likely to happen is to see a new player come into the market in addition to the current competitive model. Okay, this is an opinion piece for me as well. I'm not really meant to take his opinion. Um, my opinion on this is, well, with the Australian market of flying, there is only so much demand. I personally think that there probably is only enough demand to handle one low... Well, it could handle two low cost if Jetstar weren't running as many flights as they do. With Jetstar and Qantas, they're both sort of owning it. Don't get me wrong, two full-service airlines in Australia is absolute must. But in all fairness, I don't see anybody get in the full-service way if Virgin Australia do come back anywhere near to the same sort of quality that they were before this, taking any either of them down. Um, which means a new player in this, of course, would have to probably be low cost and will have to try and snag a, a leisure market. If they can, best luck to them. But a Tiger, Tiger were never good. Um, they just didn't have enough aircraft, not enough frequency, not enough routes to really make it even viable. So if someone can maybe do a bit more, sort of hit a niche in the market in Australia, I can't really give you a niche of that market, but yeah, it give you a niche market, there is room. Don't get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. Okay, question answers. Anybody got any questions? Because I'll answer a question of my own that you guys might want to know. Okay. As a lot of you guys would know if you've known me for at least five years, um, I'm a massive cycling fan. I love the Tour de France. I've watched every single Tour de France except for 2015 live since about 2004. I've ridden around a Evans said, on my bike, every Tour de France, except for 2015, 2018. <coughs> and um, here's an interesting question for myself. Um, favourite cyclist of all time? I personally think my favourite cyclist in history is Fabian Cancellara. The big Swiss man... The, let me actually get his Wikipedia up because I do I want to get this right. There he is, Fabian Cancellara. You can look at look him up later. He's a great rider. He's uh, speaks very good English as well. So if you want to hear him speak, because he's a very interesting man to listen to. Um, he retired in 2016. He won eight stages of the Tour de France. He held the yellow jersey for a while. He held the yellow jersey in quite a few of those Tour de France's because he won the opening stage, which gives you the, uh, which would be a prologue that gives you the yellow jersey. He won on eight individual stages in 2004, 07, 08, 9, 10, and 12. Um, he won, he's won Torino Adriatico, Tour de Suisse, um, but he's also a four-time world time trial champion two-time Olympic time trial champion, while in 2016, which was his final ever race, by the way, he won that time trial by nearly a minute. He won Paris-Roubaix three times. 
Tour of Flanders, three times. Milan San Romo, Strada Bianchi, three times. But the guy is... I've I've been following Fabian since about 2007. I think he's unbelievable. I really do think he's unbelievable. He's been probably my favourite rider since then. He is just an unbelievable freak of a man. And he's just... Un- and, um, yeah, he deserved everything he got. And yeah, he's probably does go down as my favourite, uh, favourite rider uh, of all time. Just watch the way he can own a time troll or own a, um, tr- uh, what's it, a pay rubay. It's just legendary. I don't think you, you may ever see a um, cyclist ever do that again. Uh, my second. F- other favourite cyclist is some madman called Jens Voigt. Um, someone who's very famous um, for writing the words shut up legs on his stem. On his bottom stem of his bike. Just to remind him that, yeah, legs, you're not helping this case. <laughs> but he's very, he was very good at the breakaway. And he won a couple of stages in the Tour de France by breaking away. And just riding everyone off the wheel for 35k. It was he is unbelievable. Um you now that German, he retired in 2016 or 20 what year did he retire? No, it was before that. He retired in 2014. And um no, absolutely brilliant rider. Jens Void as well. So if you get a chance to watch, well he had a really bad accident in the 09 Tour de France. Um where he pretty much hit a bump in the road coming down one of the big mountains and then fell face first into the tarmac and he got watch that on YouTube you'll it will yeah give you a little bit of um yeah it'll shock you a little bit don't get me wrong yeah but he got back up and he he's a madman that good he is a madman he's 49 as well I think he's 10 years older than Fabian as well he, he just was the eternal one yeah. Guess what? That is all I've got for tonight. Um, so, yeah. I thank you for joining me, unless anyone has anything else they want to contribute right now. Or... Nope. All right. All right. I think we'll leave it there. I thank you for joining me. That's the last two weeks of... Well, nearly three weeks of what's been going on with me, with the aviation industry, all that sort of stuff. Um... We will be back on Tuesday night to um, do it all over again to recap the week that would have just gone because we haven't done everything. Tonight was pretty much to do the from the Tuesday just gone two weeks back and then next Tuesday we'll do from Tuesday to Tuesday. So, no, I thank you for joining me. I thank you for everything and, um, yeah, I'm just happy to be doing this again happy that everything's seeming to work fine um because i had all my workmates yesterday saying where's the podcast we need it back why aren't you doing it it's yeah you you can't you can't let those those um get away from you when you got michaela in one ear zach and all those guys in another ear it's like yep Sunny and all them just get the podcast back. So we are. 
I will see you guys on Tuesday, and I thank you for joining me, and yeah, have a very good rest of your weekend, and I'll see you on Tuesday.